From the forests and heaths of West Suffolk to the pastoral calm of the Dedham Vale, Suffolk is a county which revels in its beauty, but also in its humility. And yet it's full of successful businesses, purposeful charities and fascinating people. The conversations that we are holding are with the people in Suffolk who work on the three things that you can do with your money. You can spend it, you can save it, or you can give it away. So we're talking with the entrepreneurs and the business leaders where we spend our money. We're talking to the independent financial advisors and money experts who help us when we have financial issues. And we're talking to the charities and the community groups who are making a difference within our county. Imagine this, uh, you've lived in a Suffolk village for some time, but over the years you've found that you're less able to travel perhaps as much as you used to, and you don't really feel that secure leaving your home. In fact, there's not many reasons why you would. Um, you're not very confident online. So when you need support, who can you talk to? Who's available to help you find out the, the things you need to establish when you want some advice? So we have one of the solutions uh, with us today, and that's Anne, Anne Osborne from the Rural Coffee Caravan. Anne, brilliant to have you with us. Thank nice you for telling us a bit about the amazing work that you do. <laughs> Let's just picture the scene that we're in a village somewhere in Suffolk, and you can tell us about some of the locations you go to. What happens when the Rural Coffee Caravan comes? Okay, well, um, we will always have a contact in the village. The, that's usually the person that's invited us in the first place. So when we roll up, they will be there, um, making sure that we park exactly where they want us to park. Parking's important. You're yeah, right. absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> so we'll manoeuvre into position, and um, sometimes that involves the tower unhooking and, and disappearing off to park his car elsewhere. And then we just start emptying out of the caravan the tables and chairs. Um, and we do it all properly. We've got gingham tablecloths and... It all looks really nice and inviting. We put a sign up so that people can see that, that from a distance, people can see that we're here. Um, we've got lovely snuggle rugs that go on all the chairs if people are a bit cold. I have to say it's always me that's cold. No older person will ever be humiliated by you. They're a hearty bunch. Oh, there, so I'm yeah. the one sitting there with the blanket over my knees. But anyway, yeah. um, and then we set out the cakes or whatever we've got for that particular day and make tea and coffee and along come the visitors okay so people wander along they know you're going to be there they're wandering along what what are you looking to achieve what do you want to do why why would you be there well we're there at the village's invitation so it's it's not what we want to achieve it's what they want to achieve by having us there um, and there can be many reasons why they ask us. It could be that they feel their residents don't have access to information that's really important. You know, life, life enhancing, independence enhancing information. Um, you said in the beginning, you might not feel that secure leaving your home. Well, it might be that you could access a few things that would make you feel a bit better about that. So that could be one reason. And we do have a, um, a very comprehensive range of information available. It could be that the, they don't feel that the community spirit is as good as it could be and they just want to get people together just for chinwagging, really, just chatting and making friends and building relationships. Or it might be that they've got an idea that they want some information with. I mean, Brugiard, for example, 
um, they wanted a village hall and didn't really know how to begin with uh, start, even starting the plans. So we put them in touch with the then Suffolk Acre and <clears throat> they have now got a beautiful village hall. I mean, you know, we didn't make the village hall happen, but we, we set them on the road to finding out how they could make it happen. It's a bit like a one-stop shop, I suppose, in a lot of ways. It's an information cafe um, and it's a social space in a rural place. So, yeah, that's basically it. For, for well, is that what, is that, what it, that was what it was created for? Yes. About how, lo how long ago did it begin? And Okay, so the founder, Sally Fogden, Canon Sally Fogden, who um, a lot of people listening to this podcast may have heard of, was at around, still is, but was around 2000, um, a farm crisis network telephone operator. Uh, and she was listening to people, they were going through foot and mouth at the time, and she was listening to people in the agricultural business who were really experiencing not just the difficulties that we all hear about, moving feed and all that kind of thing, but, but all sorts of other difficulties. And she knew there was help out there, but they didn't. So they didn't even know what it was they didn't know. And she also picked up that they were feeling lonely and isolated. So she and her little group of farm crisis network people bought a caravan. In fact, she gave them the idea in the morning and they bought the caravan in the afternoon. That's Sally for you. That's good going. Yeah, absolutely. A little <laughs> bit of an old tin can. But I think it cost them £500. And they just started going out to these villages that they had identified as having possible issues with loneliness. Um, and and that's how it trundled along really for a couple of years but so it, when would this have been sorry this was about 2000 2001 okay. 2002. Yep. then she she um fell over some funding from an organization called the rural stress information network which doesn't exist anymore but um they gave her some funding to try and establish it into a thing so in may 2003 it became a constituted voluntary organization and then I think it was doing about 15 visits a year. And then I came on board in September 2004. And we do about 300 visits a year now. How did you come on board, Anne? How did that happen? I'm one of these people who didn't really um, do anything beyond O-level, other than backpack and work in restaurants and, you know, a bit of a... Well, no, I wasn't an air-do-well, but I didn't have an established career. And... When I got married and had my children, I didn't actually need to go to work. I was very fortunate I could stay at home and be a stay-at-home mum. But I was a rainbow guider, and I was chatting to our granny rainbow, who happened to be the reception teacher of all four children, so I knew her really well. And I said, I need a job. They're all going to university, and I need a job. And I can't do anything. I'm not qualified to do anything. What am I going to do? Who's going to want me? And the next day... She rang me and she said, I couldn't tell you yesterday because I had to speak to my husband, but actually we run this little organization called the Rural Coffee Caravan and we're looking for a manager. And I absolutely freaked out. The thought of managing anything, just, I can't manage anything. And she said, you've managed four children and they're all going to university. So I think you could probably find you've got a lot of transferable skills. So I went shaking from head to toe for the interview. I'm sure looking back, I sat there trying to teach my grandmothers to suck eggs. But they decided, they decided that they would give me a go. So that's how it began. 
So that's so interesting because um, that's, that sort of tells a picture of there's probably lots of people who are thinking to themselves when they're going to come back into the job market, male or female, and they might be thinking to themselves, I can't contribute anything useful and look what you've been able to... Well, I, I mean, I, I suffered imposter syndrome dreadfully. Yeah. I, was, that, I was very nervous. I didn't have a lot of confidence in the early days. But I think that's that's the interesting thing, isn't it? You may not have felt you were able to, but actually you do have the skill set there and, and you've been able to cope with remarkable change. And that's the bit that's fascinating me. So when you came on board, there was just this handful of visits. I mean, there was a lot of people interacting, of course, but actually it's grown to something really quite significant now. So how many visits, sorry, you did say earlier, how many visits we did you- We do about 300 visits a year, and that's probably to about anywhere between 70 or 80 different locations, because yeah, like I said to you before, different villages want us for different reasons. And mm -hmm. some of those visits are regular. We go once a month, either all year or from um, March till October. Um, so yeah, so about but somewhere between 70 and 80 different locations. And that's with one caravan? No, we've got three at the moment. Okay. Um, and we are shortly to have four. Right. So that's yeah. Goodness. So, so you're now having to manage where these are going all at different times. I know, times. I've got staff now. <laughs> I have to manage people. But we're a team. We are a real team. There's no particular hierarchy. We just all get on together. I've got a wonderful bunch of trustees who also muck in and help out and are, are very, very supportive. Um, so, yeah, very lucky. So you then, uh, let's go back to that scene where you're turning up into different villages and let's say uh, you then put all, all your um, goodies out and it's not just coffee, uh, you do do tea as well. Just to be yeah, really clear. absolutely, green tea, <laughs> fruit tea, decaffeinated tea, decaffeinated coffee, you know, Matt, we've got it. Well, the coffee caravan is much more catchy than the hot beverage caravan, so that's that is better. Well, so you yeah, call me the travelling teapot at one stage. <laughs> really, oh, that's an interesting line. <laughs> so, so you then going out to these different locations, you're putting those things out. People come to you. Is it then that you're facilitating conversation, or do you yeah, find that most yeah. of them just sort of absolutely get get, get chatting and they recognise someone from the village anyway? And you know, how does it how does yeah, it really I mean, move on from there? We introduce people to each other if we think that they don't happen to know each other. And the times that we do that, and they actually live next door. I mean, country <laughs> next door, but, but next yeah. door. Um, so we facilitate the conversations. We, we usually have one or two volunteers with us that help with that. I tend to back off once I see people talking to each other, because that's yeah. actually what we're there to, to facilitate. It's not talking to us so much unless they need to for a specific reason it's talking to each other i mean there are one or two villages that we go to now where really we just set up and leave them to it because Lovely. they're now building a really strong um sense of, of togetherness and they might then say to us we'd really like to how could we but it's all we not i so that's lovely that's lovely um all sorts of different things have happened over the years, as you can imagine. I mean, we've, we've often had people come up and say, um, does anyone have a dog? I feel silly walking around the village on my own. I'm happily, I'll happily walk somebody else's dog, which is rather nice. Were they working just with the lead before? Or, and they needed a, they needed <laughs> a dog to go in. <laughs> and we, we, I mean, we've had people who, That's lovely, though. who have got really hidden needs, as in, they're caring for someone, but they don't, they haven't seen themselves as a carer specifically. Mm. So they haven't engaged with any outside help. It's just, just what they do. 
Um, and the rest of the village's reaction to that is, is heartwarming. We have a lady once who was really upset because she was late. She only managed the last half hour. We did actually stay an extra half hour because she was late, but she arrived in tears because her housebound bedridden daughter's carer she had just discovered hadn't turned up for two days. And so she was distraught because she didn't know what to do to make sure that that didn't happen again. And the village, the people there, well, why didn't you say, you know, we'd have popped in to see if she was okay or we'd have offered to help in whatever way we could. And that's lovely. That's lovely. Getting people to actually reveal their vulnerability a bit gives other people the opportunity to offer help. And actually offering help is as much of a need as needing the help. So, yeah, so that happens quite often. That's nice. So is, is that part of just society today that we sort of just live within our own four walls and we don't want to engage with our neighbours, or is it just we feel that we'll be we'll be perceived as being nosy or uh, intrusive if we do? I think that with the demise, I mean, that, that there is a regrowth now in this, but I think that with the demise of pubs and and shops. Um, we started normalising not talking to each other in the street. You know, when you would go down to the shop for your pint of milk or to post your letters or pick up your paper, you'd stop and talk to the chap walking his dog or the lady clipping her hair or, or whatever. You might not even know their names, but it was an interaction that was happening, waiting at the bus stop. When all those things disappeared and you were waiting perhaps for a Tesco delivery or waiting for a friend or relative to bring your shopping to you, not interacting became the norm. And that takes confidence away. So somehow we have to bring that confidence back. And I think in the last year, with what's had to happen in terms of supporting each other, we've seen a lot of that confidence come back. And actually that, to me, is how we are genetically programmed. We are not meant to be on our own. We are meant to be in this together. So when we can find ways of being together and helping each other, then we flourish, we feel much better physically, mentally, emotionally. Mm. Um, so if we can be a part of that, that's all worthwhile, isn't it? You know, if Sally can help one person with her project in a day, then, then she feels the whole thing has been worthwhile. Uh, it's that the sort of contradiction that we have in Suffolk, but one of the reasons we love it is because of the, the, the relative quiet yeah. and the, the, the fact we're not all on top of each other. There is the downside to that, which is really what you're expressing some of your... I think too, I think one of the most important things to recognise, and I think this has come to light through the pandemic and, and through the, the support hubs and everything, is reciprocity. You know, if, if you are somebody who is in need of a fair amount of help, you possibly won't ask any authority for that help because you don't want to be seen to be needing it. However, if you can do something back. So you might not be able to do, you might not be able to mow your lawn, you might not be able to keep your garden tidy, but you can make really good jam. <laughs> so if there's a chance that you can give something back, that you are as needed as you are needy, then that makes for a much better way of living within a community. Um, and I think we need to spend more time talking about reciprocity. We don't, we mustn't see people who need help as any kind of victim or, or, or needy. People offering help have as much of a need to give. So if we can make that two-way system, a bit like old-fashioned bartering, I suppose, you know, before, before money came along. I mean, I have, it, it, it has worried me a little bit that 
there's a possibility of over-professionalizing volunteering. We do need to know that we can borrow a cup of sugar without being DBS'd, you know, it's, it, and, and I think that the way to sustainable community is that reciprocity, it is people being confident enough to support each other in various different ways within their own community, rather than seeking outside help as a first. I, outside help should always be there, but, but not as the first. Because again, one of the things that perhaps our uh, lack of integration with other people, if we put it that way, is perhaps we're not sure when we do need help, who we can talk to. Yeah, and I think that's where we, we are really the ideal solution, because we've been invited for, to begin with. We haven't just lobbed up and said, you need us. We've been invited. And so we can start with, so what's strong? What's good about living in this community? What, you know, why do you like living here? Tell us all about it. And that will generate conversations that have a, a good degree of positivity in them, but it will also bring out, but it would be nice if, if only I could, um, which is, you know, something that we can help them work on. But we don't do anything to them. So, for example, if they wanted to, say they wanted to start a coffee morning in their village hall. The village hall's been lying in abeyance. It's not being used as much as it should be. It's not as inviting, perhaps, because of that. And a couple of people have tried to run a coffee morning, but nobody's calm and they've got a bit dejected by it. We can say, well, okay, let's run our visits in your village hall for the next six months. Let's set it all up like we do outside, but let's set it up inside um, and see if we can build up a group of people who come regularly and then we'll, we'll leave you to it. You can take it on from there. So that's worked. That's worked out well in a few places. And what other uh, ways do you help people who are perhaps needing additional support? It can be that um, you might find this surprising, but it can be that it's not occurred to them to apply for attendance allowance or carers allowance. Typical Suffolk attitude is it's, you know, that's your lot. That's what you do. You care for your partner. Don't expect any money for doing it. And when we point out that that money can be used perhaps as a taxi for shopping so that you don't have to make it such an arduous ordeal or something like that, then there's a fair amount of, of opening up different benefits to people, the knowledge of different benefits for people, and then possibly helping them to apply. We also have two um, team members who are qualified rural energy officers. So we can talk to people about staying warm, little things that they can do in their own home to, to cut down their energy costs, but also we can help them to look at safer switching sites and guide them through that process if it's going to set, see if it's going to save them money and if it is help them to do it we can talk to them about the pros and cons of smart meters we're not there to advocate them we can just you know tell people about them um so that's quite that's quite an important thing we can refer them into the surviving winter fund or oh, actually we can we can not everybody who is lonely is poor we can also no. talk to people about donating to the surviving winter fund um it could be that they need a little bit of mental health support, they're in low mood, and maybe there are some different organisations out there that, that could help them. It could be access because they've got sight issues and they need to be put in touch with organisations that support people with, with sight or hearing. It could be that they need a new rubber tip on the bottom of their walking stick and we can put that on for them. 
Um, it's, it's just somebody wanted to know how she joined the Heavy Horse Society. I mean, you know, there's, there's all sorts of things that people want to know about. They're not necessarily to do with struggle. They can be to do with interest. And there's a lot of that to do with so many of these things that you refer to actually depend or rely on someone being online. Um, Unfortunately, we are moving more and more online. I mean, the census, for example, is online. You can do it on paper, but it is digitally driven because that is the way that it's going. And we take the view that if you can be online, then we will gently help you to understand that you haven't got to internet bank, you haven't got to shop online, you could just video call your grandchildren. Um, because we, it is, it's not going anywhere. It's the way forward, it's not going anywhere. And it's nice if you can help people to keep up a little bit. So if, for example, a grandchild might turn up with all their photos on their phone and show their granddad, and then they take the phone away. And their granddad can't see the pictures anymore. If we could get to, to where he could use his phone for sharing those pictures, that would be really lovely. But at the same time, there are going to be people who, for whatever reason, are never going to be online. They, they can't because they have no signal anywhere. They absolutely do not want to, or they just, they just can't. So we are very um, conscious of encouraging people to use a telephone, to set up telephone trees in their villages. In days gone by, when there was no texting and WhatsApping and email, that's how we told each other what was happening for a particular event. So in the early days of starting Rainbows, if for any reason it wasn't going to happen that night, we would use our telephone trees. So we'd phone two parents, they'd each phone two more parents and so on. So we set up telephone trees in a lot of the villages the day that we were locked down first off and they've turned out to be really successful in one particular village um two two different sets of people had moved in that week to the village they didn't know anybody but they got included in the telephone trees mm. so they made friends on the telephone which is just lovely eventually yeah. they got to meet but they built up that friendship on the telephone but we have just we've got an excellent newsletter it's i shouldn't say that but i can because i don't put it together it's an excellent <laughs> newsletter um and we have just received some funding to have that printed because that goes out by email so now we're going to print them and we will take a dozen or so to each of our villages and ask them to give them out to people who will need them the most and then ask those people to pass them on so um we're only tiny, you know, that's, that's, we can't cover the county with anything that we do, but that's one of the ways that we, we so it sounds like you, well, you've been working on this, finding ways in which villages and rural areas can communicate without relying and everything on that online. we send out online, we say, please take this offline. Everything we put on community pages, we know that those are the people who come to the page to take the information off and take it out into the villages. So we are forever saying, please please take this information to the people who won't see it this way. Yeah, but it sounds also like um, people who need to be able to claim attendance allowance and, and so on. Again, probably online is preferred, but there are paper ways yeah, of, of doing sure. that as well. So you're signposting people yeah. to find, find additional assistance that way too. Yeah, and, we're, and we've helped people fill in forms for blue badges before, because that's quite a tricky form. Mm. Um, and it's, it's just, I can't, you know, there's so many different things that people need 
or they don't need anything other than a conversation. Yeah. You know, we do so, meet people who say, this is the first time I've spoken out loud for three days. Yeah. Yeah. And then, that, and again, there can be a difference between being alone and being lonely. Absolutely. And oh, there might be a lot of people who you're dealing with who are actually perfectly content. And that's, yeah. that's great. And that's but, terrific for them and has to be respected. You cannot, you know, you shouldn't change that if that's what they like and how, how they like to be. But they can be a huge help to somebody else and, and get a huge benefit from that. There is always something that you can offer. It doesn't matter how much you may think that you have nothing to offer. You will have something. Even if it's sitting at your window and smiling at people who walk by, you know you will have something that you can offer. So you've now branched into, we're talking telephone trees, let's talk about branches. You branched into... Um, something else not so long ago in the sense of understanding that there were people who maybe just needed some help catering <laughs> okay you could have come up with any number of things i could have done but that's the one i was going to go into this time yeah so i can't remember when it was now november late november i think i was on twitter and i saw a butcher of all people in yorkshire actually i'd seen him before he was forever saying don't think you can't feed your children in half term. If you need any help, come to me. I can give you some, some food to help you through. Amazing man. And then he, he came up with this thing and he said, right, I think a really economical solution to some of people's problems is a slow cooker. If you would like to donate a slow cooker, send it to my shop and I will see that they get to the right people. How simple. So... I spoke to the lady who does the digital newsletter and our website and everything. And I said, right, we're not using our local giving page for anything significant. How about we have an appeal for slow cookers? That was about five o'clock, I think. I half us nine, we got the page launched. 36 hours later, I'd got a thousand pounds. And actually that's all I thought I was going to do. But because I got it so quickly, I thought, well, okay, let's go for 2000. I had that by the weekend. This had started on the Tuesday. So I thought, okay, well, I'll do one more. I'll go to five. So now, including gift aid, we've got £12,500. So it kind of ran away with me a bit, which is fantastic for the people who are going to receive slow cookers. It's not so great for my dining table. <laughs> because currently, waiting to go out next week, I think there's about 120 on the dining table, and that's the third lot that's come through. But how cool. I mean, it's just brilliant that we are getting this wonderful economical way of cooking out to people who are in income deprivation and the indignity that they are experiencing of not being able to put a decent meal on the table can be changed by a slow cooker you can put wonky vegetables in you can put off cuts of cheap meat in and it you know it'll turn it into something nutritious and warm um, and and just a happy thing it's a happy thing to be able to put a meal on the table so yeah there's hundreds of them i think we'll be able to to send out about somewhere between five and six hundred slow cookers by the time Superb. We so that says something amazing about the people of suffolk who've responded to your um, but people of suffolk are amazing i mean we had our caravan stolen three years ago and we were back on the road in six weeks thanks to the people of suffolk incredible we get so much support i'm so grateful just going back to the slow cookers, I'd really like to explore the caravan thing in, in a moment, but just going back to the um, slow cookers, 
how are you going to, how do you go about actually getting those into the hands of people who need them? So we decided that the best way of doing that was to go through the agencies that we work with already that are um, supporting families that are likely to be in income, in income deprivation. So we are not giving out any, to, you can't ring in and say, can I have a slogan? Um, we have got obviously people that we know that we think would benefit from. So we've been giving out some ourselves, but other than that, they're going out through food banks, CABs, um, Homestart have, have, are taking quite a lot. Restitute have taken um, some. So, um, and the beauty of that is that I trust those organisations completely. So that's how we're doing it. So you're using people who already have relationships with those who would benefit yes yeah, so just making sure they you know yeah. you can't just lob up to somebody who's not got a lot of money and say here have a slow cooker they, they may already have one or, or they may not want one so it, you know they've got to go out to where they're going to be needed it was probably just a very simple idea of yours but what an incredible difference that makes to well people. i'm a copycat you know it's another idea i've copied <laughs> i have yet to have an original one i'm quite good at copying other people's <laughs> there's, no, there's no monopoly on on good ideas so that's that's, that's not not an issue so just to talk us through this incredible 2017 event of oh. finding one day i mean it must absolutely bring you uh, you, yeah, it can't I have been a very pleasant experience. What, I think it took us all about 24 hours to actually believe it had happened mm -hmm. because this, the caravan was not on display. It was hidden up behind a huge barn on a farm, two locked gates. So Richard went to collect it and he rang me and said, oh, where have you put the caravan? It's not where I was expecting it to be. And I said, no, it is. And he said, no, it isn't. And I thought, am I going mad? ask for it to put some so I started ringing around all the towers saying did you, did you put the caravan somewhere else and then Richard said to me and I think you need to get your head around the fact that this has been stolen there was no debris they are so clever they'd come they'd broken the locks on these two gates but there was no caravan debris they had just somehow lifted it onto a low loader they must have covered it immediately because no one saw it and it was if you've seen our vans they're covered in signage so in the dead of night, it was just whisked away, never to be seen again. Um, and it was a really nice caravan. So it was just so upsetting. So um, Ollie Watts, who works at the co-op at Worsted at head office, he said, you need um, a just giving page. And I said, oh, I don't know what to, I don't know how to do that. And he said, oh, I'll, do, I'll do it for you. Don't worry, I'll do it for you. So he set up a just giving page. I think inside 24 hours, we've got something like £11,000. That was incredible. It was just incredible. And it just kept trickling on and on. And then I had a phone call from um, Farnham Leisure, caravan dealership. And he said, I've seen your appeal. And... I'd like you to come and see me and I'd like to help. So we went over to see him and he said, right, I want you to look around all the caravans and then come back and tell me which one you think would suit you and we'll work something out. I think at that stage, we'd got about 21,000 pounds. So we walked around all these amazing caravans, but actually they were quite a lot of money. And we settled on one that was about eight years old, I think that had the right kind of layout. So we went over to the office and we sat down and, he, and we said, well, we've seen this one. He said, right, well, I'm going to take you back out again and show you the one that I think you should have. And he took us to this 30 grand one. And we said, yeah, it's lovely, but we haven't got one. He said, oh, 
okay, let's go back to the office anyway. We got it. He, he made it so that we could afford it. He was just incredible. He, was, he said, I think what you do is fantastic. I really want to support it. This is a way I can support it. Mm. He organized a little launch for us on his forecourt. Um, when that launch, oh, he, when we got there, he'd got like, I don't know, something like three trays of cupcakes that all had our logo on. Oh, and then as we were leaving at the end of it, he gave us a case of Prosecco so we could each take a bottle of Prosecco home and celebrate oh. at home. He was just fantastic. Absolutely. He gave us cups, he gave us trays, he gave us water bottles. He was so kind. So we ended up with this amazing new car. So out of a really awful situation again, just so much good. I know. I know. I felt absolutely blessed. I, I, I just couldn't stop crying. I cried when it was stolen. I cried when people started giving us money. I cried when I sat in his office and he said, I think we're going to make this work. <laughs> Please don't make me cry anymore. I was a soggy mess that summer. <laughs> and the, the Radio Suffolk put out an appeal as well. We, we just had so much support from so many different areas. And does that continue now? I mean, in a way, oh. that probably ra probably raised your profile. I know it's it not did. how you would have wanted. Well, I think what was really interesting, and I mean, it did, obviously, but but it also showed us how high our profile was already, that, right. that perhaps we'd been unaware of. Yeah. We had such beautiful messages with the donations. I, had a, I remember one young girl who went to school, actually, with my, our daughter. Um, I don't know where she lives, Newcastle or something now? But she sent us a donation and her little message was, my grandma loves your visits. So, you know, Lovely. we were going somewhere that her, her grandma came. Um, it was just endlessly touching. It did actually make us really recognise how important the work that we do is to the people of Suffolk. And it kind of re-motivated us, you know, to, to go on and absolutely be even better if we could be. Um, which obviously we could be, everybody can always be better, but yeah. it was a very emotional year. Yeah, I can well imagine. And I guess probably the last year hasn't been what you would have expected or hoped for with you know, no, of different course stages no, of lockdowns and absolutely. restrictions. I think, I, yeah, and I think one of the things that hit us first off was, was what exactly what you said a little while ago, you know, we, we locked down and instantly we knew that the first thing we had to do was put everything online alongside the knowledge that not everybody that we see is online. Yeah. So, you know, that was that was really tricky and everything that we, we created a fantastic page of inspirational ideas for staying socially together while physically distanced. And we turned our calendar into loads of events that you could watch on your television or listen to on the radio or um, stream if you could, so that the calendar looked vibrant and not cancelled, 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 cancelled all yeah. over the place. But at the same time, you know, we, we were talking to all our village contacts and saying, please please distribute this information um, to all the people who come. We had a lovely thing, it's still still on there actually. It's a like a little 3D greetings card where you can put together a cup and saucer and then you can put a tea bag in the cup and post it to somebody and just say, right, I'm having a cup of tea at 10 o'clock, have yours at oh, 10 o'clock and we'll be having it together. Kind of. So that's still on there. We, we had a campaign to get people to pull up a fence panel in the back garden and, and have coffee with their neighbors you know, a socially distanced, but yeah. by taking the panel down or driveway drinks after the, the clapping or any time, you know, just meet at eight o'clock on a Sunday night in the summer and have drinks in the driveway. Um, so we were, were full on doing stuff like that all the time. 
how 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 does the future look to you? Um, uh, once uh, once we're beyond this, how well, how how will your services work, and what are the concerns you have about what you're going to find? Well, I or, think. Or is it going to be much more positive? How, yeah, how do you yeah, see yeah. Things? Well, we're always positive. I mean, I'm I'm just positive Polly. Me, let's get this. <laughs> There's always a way to make things happen. But when we were allowed out a little bit in August, we were quite tentative about going out because we didn't think people would come. Well, they they did. They came in bigger than ever numbers, and we got told several times that people felt very safe. So as soon as we're allowed to go out again, we will make sure that we are still representing something that is very safe. Our messages will still be about social distancing and hand washing, because even when we've had the vaccinations, the data isn't in yet regarding transmission. So we will be setting good examples and operating in a very safe way. That will make people feel confident to come to us. Um, we will relaunch our Meetup Mondays and we will have a pretty big, I hope that we will have a big, well-supported launch of Meetup Mondays because although that's it's not why anyone went into being a host for meetup monday there is a definite benefit to them business-wise people coming back into the pub at other times other than the meetup mondays just yeah and talk it, us through that a little bit meetup mondays well, okay so, that, so again copycat i copied a guy in in wimbledon i did ring him up and ask him if i could have to say um and it's it's asking pubs and cafes or cafes if they would host a free coffee morning on a monday for an hour and a half max, where the coffee is free, um, and maybe a biscuit or a bit of cake or whatever, to people who spend too much time looking at the same four walls. Um, and it took a little while to get off the ground. I think the first one started in February 2019, I think. Um, and then all of a sudden in the May, we had about five pubs but April, we had about five pubs that wanted to do it all in the same week. And um, Mark Murphy very kindly asked us onto the radio to talk about it. And that generated a few more. And then by the time lockdown came around, we had 60 in Suffolk and another 40 elsewhere in the country. And it is just that. It is going along to your pub to get together with other people at no cost. You are the guest of the publican or the landlord or the landlady. You know, you are their guest. Um, and they're absolutely brilliant. They really are. They're for a completely different vibe to anything that happens in a village hall, although a lot of people who come to them who wouldn't necessarily go to anything in a village hall end up going to things in village halls because they meet people and, and that generates interest in, in taking up other things. But, but we then started having pubs say, well, I can't do it on a Monday. Can I have a meet-up Tuesday? And we'd say, no, you can have a meet-up Monday on a Tuesday. You can have a meet-up Monday on a Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. We started to have proper logos reduced with Monday crossed out and the, and the proper name put in because we wanted to keep it something that tripped off people's tongues, Meet Up Monday. Yep. And it's quite funny to say, yeah, we do Meet Up Monday, but it's Thursday afternoon. Yeah. Um, and we spoke to people, we went around speaking to people and say, you know, what does this mean to you? How do you feel? And they said it's just the best thing because it doesn't matter how many people turn up because the pub's open anyway. Mm -hmm. You know, I spoke to two very elderly ladies in their 90s at one that had gone a bit quiet on that particular day. And I said, are you bothered that it's quiet? And they said, no, because we're just two ladies in the pub. It's yeah. fine. You know? yeah. but, and the publicans love them because it brings people in. And those people, sometimes they stay for lunch. Sometimes they come back in with, with the new friends that they've met. We've been told a lot of times that it's life changing. A lot yeah. of times. So I am 
chuffed to bits with that and we will be looking to relaunch that we've started a little befriending service we don't have the capacity to do that on a huge scale but we've started a little one and i think perhaps we'll try and keep that going um, our more than a shop network was only ever meant to be a small little competition for maybe 20 25 community shops or there's 100 in the network now so because through the pandemic community shops have excelled themselves they've just been fantastic and our more than a shop network has, has allowed us to show the shopkeepers the love because they're nominated by customers. So that's, the, that's more community building actually. But on top of that, it gives us another platform to reach people mm. because even the hardest to reach shop. So if we need, say some horrible, nasty scam is rife we can send out a poster or a flyer or something to all of our more than a shops to put it up or even to put it into people's shopping if they like our warm homes flyers if they are worried that someone might be a bit cold they could discreetly pop a flyer into or they can talk about different things so that's become we've got like you know like tentacles because loneliness actually is everybody's business mm -hmm. we we are the answer the answer to loneliness lies within each one of us we're the medicine that, that everybody needs, if you like. Mm -hmm. So the more that we can reach out and make people aware that loneliness is everybody's business, the greater chance we have of actually, I don't suppose we'll ever eradicate it, but certainly alleviating it. It all starts, as you said earlier, with just that acknowledgement of someone in the street of saying hello. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. Because without that, you have nothing to start with, do you? You don't have and, a relationship. And we don't have to all be bosom buddies, but we mm. are safer if we know a little bit about each other. You know, if you know the person who clips their hedge or walks their dog, if you if you know them in inverted commas because you see them regularly, if you're suddenly in trouble in the middle of the night for some reason, maybe you would call them. Mm. But if you'd never seen them or spoken to them and something happens in the middle of the night, you're on your own. Or yeah. maybe you've the only person you can call has got a long journey to get to you. So, yeah, you just... Somebody said to me once, every village needs a Linda Snell. So if you're an Archers fan, you'll know what that means. <laughs> I'll have to look that <laughs> one up personally. But... I think actually they're probably taking it. I was racking my brains well, to think, do I know her? But, 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 um, but yeah, everybody needs, every village needs someone that, that knows a bit about what's going on. It isn't a bad thing to know a little bit about each other's business. It makes us safer. Well, you're making a great difference in Suffolk and um, thank you. Thank you for what you do. And uh, let's just hope within the next few weeks or so that we'll be able to see you back out on the road again and making a difference. We'll be out as soon as we are able to be out, I promise you. So I really want to thank Anne for the opportunity to talk with her and understand something more about the incredible work that's carried out by the Rural Coffee Caravan. I'm sure they'd be interested if you want to support them and find out something more of what they do. So just look them up online and I'm sure you'll find out everything that you need to know. As always, do give us some feedback. Go onto our Facebook page, which is Suffolk Money, and uh, find us there, leave us some comments, give us some feedback and uh, do the same 
on your podcast facility of choice, whichever one you're using. If you can give us some feedback through there as well, we'd love to receive that. Please do uh, recommend us to your friends so that they can get some benefit from the stories that we're bringing. And also, if you've got any news items that you can keep us informed about, then we'd love to hear those as well. So we hope that we'll see you next time on Suffolk Money.